All right, Ephesians chapter 3. While you're there, let me just by introduction tell you we're halfway through the book of Acts. There are 28 chapters, and so we're in chapter 14. We're halfway through. There's a lot that we've actually learned. Uh, and by the way, it's all online. If you miss a week, I would encourage you to get the whole picture. I can preach one week, and if you've missed a couple of weeks, it's kind of like, where did all this come from? So it's all online. You can go on YouTube or you can go to the church website there. But if you read your, the book of Acts, it is named appropriately. Acts, actions, it's on the go. And, and it shows, as you read the book of Acts, it shows no sign of slowing down. Paul and Barnabas are on their first missionary journey. There's a fly. Um, think about how they had to travel. I mean, I, I see people go through Balancholic and they're pulling a, a suitcase. I wonder, they just came in or they're just leaving or whatever. And I mean, we, we sometimes talk about a holiday. These guys are going to end up traveling 1,500 miles across the next two months. They are traveling. This is a big deal. They're on their first missionary journey. It's not their last either. Uh, and it's a special journey. They leave from Antioch, and then they head down through the island of Cyprus, where Barnabas was from, up into Turkey. Modern Turkey is called Asia Minor at that day. Up through towns, and then they go back the way they came, and they end up back in Antioch. So we're going to follow them around as they go up from the second Antioch in Asia Minor. And we're going to pick them up today because this is a special journey. There's so many things that they are experiencing and learning that just had never been imagined would ever happen. I want you to see what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, about what he learned on that journey. Verse 6, that the Gentiles should be, and that word is an amazing word, fellow heir. Now, if you got an inheritance from your parents and I came along and I said, guess what? I'm a fellow heir with your inheritance. You'd be very upset. Do you get it? If you just got an inheritance and I said, I get some of the inheritance that you get, you wouldn't be happy. You understand what I'm saying? And that was revolutionary to, the, to Christianity. They thought all the blessings were for them, for the Jews. And now Paul says, the Gentiles are fellow heirs. They get the inheritance along with us, and of the same body. Now, the body of believers is what we're talking about, and partakers of his promise, God's promise in Christ, by the gospel. Not, it's, it's by the gospel and not by genetics, not by your first birth. It's by the second birth. You get all the blessings of God because you're born again, not because you're a certain nationality or a culture or whatever. Verse 7. Whereof I was made a minister. Paul is bragging. He says, God changed me and made me a servant. That's what minister means. I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God. See, God declared to Abraham, I am committing to your children and to the nation of Israel, and I'm giving you a law and the covenant. But here, Paul says, the grace of God has gone much further than he ever did with the Jews. The grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power that changed him, verse 8, unto me, who am less than the least of all saints. That's a good way to look at yourself. Is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ? Isn't that an amazing scripture? 
Isn't that incredible? Oh, that we realize just how good the gospel is for Gentiles. So we'll now we'll go into back to Acts chapter 14, pick up this and watch it in motion. Acts chapter 14. We'll read the first six verses. And we'll see Paul and Barnabas as they come into a town called Iconium. Acts chapter 14, verse 1, and it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews and so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the, Gen of the Greeks, the Gentiles, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles, made their minds evil affected against the brethren. They probably put up some stupid TikToks. Long time, therefore, abode they, speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace, and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. We'd see miracles. But the multitude of the city was divided, in part held with the Jews, in part with the apostles. And when there was an assault made, both of the Gentiles and also the Jews with their rulers, to use them despitefully and to stone them, they, Paul and Barnabas, were aware of it. They were aware of it and fled unto Lystra and Derbe, the cities of Lycaonia, and unto the region that lieth round about. So where do they go as soon as they, now they just left a town and they just kind of got kicked out of that town. And the first place they went in the previous town was a synagogue. They come to a next city and guess where they go? Right back into another synagogue. Paul is going to continue to engage every Jewish community he finds until the end of his life. Even though sometimes he says, I'm fed up with you. I quit. <laughs> he still goes to the next town. He goes right first into, because Jesus said, you'll be a witness unto me always to the Jews as well as to the Gentiles. And here, Paul and Barnabas preach. They never tired of preaching the good news. You know, if you could just see the gospel as the good news that it is, especially for people who have no hope, who just have banged their head against the wall for the last 20 years, and they've tried to be religious, they've tried to be good, they've, they've tried to make money, they've tried everything they can think of, and they keep losing. Now, there are some people who seem to be successful. It's for a while. But there'll come a day where they're looking for hope, and you've got it. And Paul and Barnabas loved preaching with joy. Look in, look in uh, uh, you're in chapter 14. Look back in verse uh, 52 of chapter 13. Verse 51, they've just been kicked out, and it says they shook off the dust of their feet against uh, Antioch, where they just were, and uh, against them. And the disciples were filled not with depression, not with discouragement, not with, with sorrow and grief. They were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. So here they come and right back into the synagogue, and they started to preach. And a great number of people believed. You say, what did they believe? They believed that the religious, the political, as well as all the common people, had all rejected and called for the murder of the Son of God. You got to believe that. You got to believe that good people reject God, that sinners hate God. We're all in the same boat, and if Jesus were here today, our, our generation would crucify him just like that. These people believe that Jesus, however, defeated death and got back up three days later. you got to believe in the resurrection. 
You just don't believe that Jesus was a good teacher. You believe that he's the son of God who was crucified, but he's alive forevermore. And they come to find out that if they just repented and believed the gospel, that God would forgive them, even of the most heinous crimes. Now, they face constant confrontation, don't they? This Bible is not enjoyed by everybody, is it? There, it divides people. Jesus said, don't be surprised if parents are divided against children and children against parents and husbands against wives and wives against husbands and, and uh, uncles and aunts. And don't be surprised that what I say and what Jesus teaches and says divides because it does. There are people who go, I understand and I agree. And there are people who say, I don't want to agree. And that's their choice. But there's constant confrontation. You know, the gospel message is not Barney's message. I love you. Oh, you're all singing it right now, aren't you? You love me. We're a happy. <coughs> Stop the lights. That's not the gospel message, is it? The gospel message is we are sinners. We're in trouble with God. We're headed for hell and we need a savior. And that upsets some people. Oh, I'm a good person. I'm, I'm, I, I, God will understand. That's how we think. And people get upset. But I like how it says there that they stood boldly. They stayed faithful. They kept going, preaching, and uh, got them in trouble. They got assaulted. You ever hear somebody talked about, I mean, assault is, is, is a crime now, isn't it? All right. Well, it was not then. <laughs> they started to threaten them, and it was time to keep moving. You know, wisdom is, is when you know when, when to stay and when to leave. Amen. That's wisdom, right? They know it's time to leave. So now we, we come on to a couple more towns. One town's called Lystra, Derby, and Lycaonia. Let's look in verse 7. Find my verse 7 here. And they, uh, So verse 6, they were aware of it, and they fled unto Lystra, Derby, cities of Lycaonia, unto the region that lieth round about. And I love this verse, and you ought to circle it. And there they preached the gospel. <clears throat> I'm going to stop for a second and warn you that we have a tendency to think, you know, you know, I, I used to be on fire for God. I used to hand out tracts. I used to care about church. I used to read my Bible every day. <clears throat> That's scary. That's like saying, I used to love my husband. I used to love my kids. That's terrifying, isn't it? And that's where we can get if we don't watch our heart. These disciples have just been, again, kicked out of a town, again, misunderstood, attacked, maligned, made fun of, mocked, just like they had been before and just like Jesus had been. And they could have said, I've done enough. I'm finished. I, 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 can't, I can't put up with this. I understand all that, but let me tell you, when they got to the next town, what'd they do? They preached the gospel again. They just kept going. Do you know, you've probably given the gospel to somebody and they said, not interested. You know what you should do? Pray and try again. Give it some time and then try again. That is what this world needs. Faithful light, faithful salt, faithful people who love the souls of men and women. So there they preached the gospel. I love that. You know, that's how the world heard the gospel in the first century. 
And that's how the world will hear it in the 21st century. Paul then, verse 8, says, Paul meets a, a uh, crippled man. There sat a certain man at Lystra. Let's read down to verse 10. Impotent in his feet. That means without strength in his feet. Being a cripple from his mother's womb who never had walked. He had never walked. The same heard Paul speaking. Speak who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped. And what did he do for the first time in his life? He walked. I could preach all day on that. What could God do in your life that you've never done before, that your, your heart has stopped you and you've been crippled from ever be doing, if you would just believe, if you would just take this Bible and say, I believe. Paul looked at him and saw this man intently holding on to every one of his words. He was a Gentile. He didn't understand the depth of what Paul was saying. He just knew, you're talking about a man who died for me. You're talking about how he's alive now. If Jesus is alive, I believe he can heal my body just like he's healed my soul. And Paul says, stand up. And that old boy started dancing. That's, that's what happens. The, uh, I, think, I don't think I came down out of cloud nine for two weeks after I got saved. I couldn't help smiling. I was 17 years old. Every one of my friends thought I found LSD. There's a joy that happens when you get saved, folks. Paul heals this crippled man. Um, that causes a problem, though, because there's confusion. Look at verse 11. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voice, saying in the speech of Lycaonia, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. Fours here. <laughs> Zeus, Jupiter. Watch what they say. Verse 13. Uh, verse 12, sorry. And they called Barnabas, they called him Jupiter, which was a Roman god. And Paul, they called Mercurius. We'd say Mercury because he was the chief speaker. And then it just went from bad to worse. The priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands unto the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people under who? Under Paul and Barnabas. Now, I know plenty of people in this world would love for people to worship them. I know people that when they stand in front of a crowd of 100,000, they go, yes, 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 yes. Thank you very much. I love you all. <laughs> you know what they love? Worship. How does Paul and Barnabas respond? Verse uh, 14, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes. Now, I don't think you'd like if I did that, okay? But it was a big deal when they began, and it we got their attention. It stopped everybody because it was something you only do when it's the most awful of days. They rent their clothes. They ran in among the people, crying out and saying, sirs, why do ye these things? And then they say something very obvious, but we also are men of like passions with you. Now, just stop there for a second. This, this confusion was deep, all right? Uh, they called Barnabas Jupiter. Jupiter it was the god of the sky. It was not the brightest star, but it was a planet that they named uh, a god uh, actually called the god of sky and thunder. Is there another god of thunder somewhere? in <laughs> The uh, Thor, everybody knows about that one. It's funny how Hollywood has picked up on all those Roman and Greek and Norwegian uh, uh, gods. And um, 
uh, Mercury was the chief speaker of the gods. Now, I have seen Mercury. I've never seen them. I'm talking about not the god, but the planet. In Texas, on a, on a, on a clear, cool day in the early morning or just, before, just after sunset, you can see this bright light just above where the sun set. And the next day you go, and it's not there. And then early in the morning, you'd look and you'd see this little star. It looks like a star. It's a planet just coming up above before the sun comes up and blots it out. And the next morning you go and you look and it's not there because Mercury is racing around the sun. And so they called that planet the god of messages, like a runner who would carry a message from, from God to God. So here's Paul, probably a fast speaker, <laughs> and he's preaching away and they says he's just like Mercury. Jupiter, look at, look at how big Barnabas is. He's a big hunk of a man. He's Jupiter. And it's funny how people attribute God characteristics to people. And may that never be true in our church. This pastor is just like you. Okay. I may be standing on a pulpit just so that you can see me, but I'm no better than you and no higher than you, no closer to God than you are. Do you understand what I'm saying? But there are churches and there are politicians and there are musicians and Hollywood stars who think, notice the word stars. Where'd they get that word from? That want the attention. And we better keep it easy, amen? We ought to keep it level. So this freaks out Paul and Barnabas and they rent their clothes and they announce that they're only men. They have the same flaws, the same passions, the same things that are wrong with him, they were not gods. And then Paul said, well, this would be a great time to preach. <laughs> so look at verse 15 again, 14, 15. And saying, why do ye do these things? Why do ye these things? Why are you trying to sacrifice unto us? We also are men of like passions with you. And we preach unto you that ye should turn. That's the word repent. Turn from these vanities. Turn from... These stupid ideas that there's Jupiter and Mercury and Saturn and Zeus and Thor turn from those vain thoughts unto one living God. You know, an atheist says, get rid of all gods. Well, that's stupid. There is one God. Under the, under the living God, which made heaven and earth, the sea and all things that are therein. And then they try to explain that God has allowed the Gentiles have kind of to do their own thing for much of history. But now things have changed. Look on there in verse uh, 16. Who in times past suffered all nations, all Jewish, uh, Gentile nations, to walk in their own ways. You know, there's time when, you know, kids grow up and they start and they're 18, 19, 20. And what do you do, parents? Your heart grieves. You go, they're making stupid decisions. They're going their own way, Yeah. That's what happens. And as a parent, you have to let them do that. Then you're there picking them up after they come home and they're a mess and they're, they've gotten themselves into debt or they've, they've gotten themselves into a relationship they want to get out of. All the things you deal with. And that was God looking at this world and isn't that how we are? This world constantly gets itself in a mess. And it's nice when we can cry out to God and say, God, help. Amen. But aren't we stupid to sit there and, and to, to worship false gods, to worship Mary instead of Jesus, to worship a pope or a Hindu guru instead of the Son of God. And yet we do. 
I'm talking about we as a human race. There was a lot of confusion that day that Paul tried to unravel. I love how he says this. Uh, verse 17, nevertheless, he left not himself without a witness. Everybody's always known God was there in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven. Boy, the Irish sure must be blessed. <laughs> and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. You know, every time you have a good day, who can you thank? Amen. Now, there's just, I, I, God always has been kind to us better than we deserve. I wish you could, when somebody says, how you doing? You know, the, the best answer, you can be honest, terrible, but better than I deserve. Because God always has been good to us. But it, it, it barely stopped them. Verse, verse 18, with these sayings, it scarce restrained they, the people, that they should not have done sacrifice unto them. It barely stopped them. They're like, but we still want to sacrifice to you. We still want to worship you. Please let me bow. <laughs> and the truth is, old religions die hard. Your old culture, do you know how long it took after you got saved before you finally got, I don't have to cross myself when I pass a church. Remember how long it took for you that when you came and, and you, you started to read the Bible, that you actually let it just talk to you and not you try to understand every word. Everything that you have now, you've grown out of a culture that was so confused with the gospel shining you the way. Isn't it wonderful? It turns deadly, though. Oh, this is, I just like that picture. It's them trying to reason. They're trying to put, you know, like in Hawaii. You ever seen those pictures where people go to Hawaii and they put these, what are those dumb things called? Lays. Put the lays on their, their neck. And that was what they're doing, putting garlands, putting all kinds of flowers around them, trying to honor them. And Paul Amar is trying to shut that thing down. But the persecution here in this city turns deadly. Look at verse 19. There came thither, here come the Jews. From Antioch, it doesn't have to be Jews. It could be your uncle. <laughs> the time he comes into town and he's an atheist and he just wants to give you what for and just shut you up. There came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul. Stop there for a second. Think what that meant. What does that look like? I mean, Paul and Barnabas are walking through town and all of a sudden, pow! And then blood is just pouring out of side of his face and then pow and he gets hit again pow and he's being stoned they stoned paul who was stoning him it's his own people his own people were stoning him the jews they had stirred up the people and says let's kill paul you know, it's, it's one thing when your enemy is somebody that you don't know or your enemy is somebody way over there, but when it's your own kind, especially when it's your own family. Now, this is not a bad thing because this is probably when Paul got to experience going to the third heaven. Take your Bible and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 in verse 2. I like how you see every bad thing in your life really is a good thing if you look for Jesus, if you just find out, God, what are you trying to do? And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, they imagine that they leave Paul dead and they drag him out of the city and they drop him. We're going to read that in a second. But 2 Corinthians chapter 12 
in verse 2, <clears throat> Paul says, hmm, now he's talking in the third person because that's how people used to write. You never said a lot. Sometimes you do, but you never say I, I, I. You always talk about, I knew a man. <laughs> he's talking about himself. In Christ about 14 years ago. Now, whether he was in the body, I cannot tell, or whether out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. Such a one caught up to the what? All right, now the first heaven is our atmosphere. We're told that in Genesis. Second heaven is the stars and the moon, the sun, the galaxies. That's the second heaven. I wonder where third heaven is. Third heaven is above it all. That's where God is. It says, I. Uh, this person was caught up unto the third heaven, and I knew such a man. And I like how he repeats it. Whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth how that he was caught up into paradise. And I heard, and he heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one will I glory. I mean, I'll honor that kind of a guy. Yet of myself, I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, in my troubles, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which seemeth that which which he seemeth to be, or that he heareth of me. In simple words, he's saying, Look at me, I'm nothing. But there was a time when there was somebody, and I think he's referring to himself, where he says, that got to go and be just in heaven for a little while, whether he's in the body or out of the body, I don't know. But he got to see and hear things that he couldn't even tell us. I wish I wish I could tell you about that. And let me, I think he's referring to that time where he did die here. And then God said, I need you to go back. I need you to go back. You've got some work to do. So back there in Acts chapter 14, pick it up in verse 20. Uh, let me read verse 19 again. I didn't finish it. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people. <clears throat> and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him. Get this picture. These guys aren't doing CPR. Okay. I mean, they're doing nothing. They're just looking at him. Okay. Great friends. Okay. You've just been beat up and they just look at you. Is he okay? I think he's dead. The disciples stood round about him. He rose up. Guess where he goes? Came back into the same city that just stoned him. And the next day he departed with Barnabas unto Derby. Just stop and take that in. He gets up. Paul, I think, the reason why I like Paul, I think the reason why God used Paul so much because he was driven. If you've, if you've never noticed in the business world and in church ministry, do you know who gets more work? Those who are already busy. You don't find somebody who's lazy and say, here, do this, because you know it won't get done. But here is Paul. He is constantly driven. He is, he is I don't want to use the obsessed, but I think it fits. He can't escape that I get to do this. And he's preaching and he's being stoned and yet he keeps going and nothing is going to stop him. And I don't think he knew that in, in, this, in these towns, there's a young man watching. Look in chapter 16. Remember we're in Derby and Lystra? Look in chapter 16, verse 1. Paul will come back to Derby about a year later and watch what happens. Then came he, Paul, to Derby and Lystra again. And behold, 
guess who's there? Guess who was there all along watching and seeing everything that happened and what Paul was like and his faithfulness? A certain disciple was there named who? You know, Paul didn't know it, but Timothy was watching. And because Paul stayed faithful, it encouraged Timothy. And Timothy became a great pastor and a great evangelist, a great preacher, a great Christian. Because one man stayed faithful. Who's watching you? You can discourage a hundred people or you can encourage them. So we're back here. Uh, verse 21, Acts 14, 21. 1421. So they've departed and they're going to Derby. They're, they're going to actually head back home now. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch. And before we get to the next verse, let me, let me just say, they went to one more town, which is kind of important. They didn't just quit where in, in Lystra where, or in Iconium where he got stoned. They went to one more town and then Paul, maybe he's got injuries. I don't know what the thing is. He says, all right, that's enough. Let's head back. And he didn't just race back to Antioch. He went back all the way the path that he had already gone. And he goes to one more town. I think that's a great testimony. You know, if you just do one more job, one more task for the Lord. And it says, um, uh, Verse 22, then, then they went back the way they came. Um, and it says, verse 22, they were confirming the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Now, you're not talking about much tribulation to get saved. He's saying much tribulation, get to the place where we're living in the kingdom of God. You know, a lot of you are in the kingdom of God, but you live like you're in the world. You're not all the way in. Um, <clears throat> if, if, uh, if you've ever been swimming, a lot of people get all ready to swim and they put their toe in the water and what do they do? Nope, I'm not doing that. <laughs> and a lot of Christians, they get saved, they got their, their swimming togs on and they get into the Christian life and they go, oop, it's too cold. Oop, it's too hard. And what does Paul say? It's gonna be rough. It's gonna be cold. It's gonna get wet. It's going to get hot. So Paul tells them, continue in the faith. Continue to walk by faith, live by faith. I like a, a, a friend of mine. He married his wife. <clears throat> he married this girl. And uh, everywhere he went, he was said, let me, let me introduce you to my wife. I live by faith. I live with faith. I uh, eat by faith. I, I, um, I walk by faith. This is my wife, Faith. <laughs> He was cheating. But isn't that our testimony? Isn't that supposed to be our testimony? Continue in the faith. We are so easy to continue in our anger, to continue in our, mm, I don't know, in our selfishness. Let's, let's decide. I want to continue in the faith and realize that we must through much tribulation. Now they're going, tribulation is just the word trouble. So they're not going through the tribulation. Jesus said, the tribulation that's coming is the worst trouble the world's ever seen. You've never seen tribulation, folks. You may have lost your job. You may have had a bad time with health problems. You may have, man, gone through the valley of the shadow of death. But you have not experienced the tribulation. 
but you will experience tribulation. And they were being warned of that because it's easy to think that when I get saved, all my troubles are over. <laughs> Back in the 1970s, a lot of the Christian songs were giving the impression that once you got saved, it's only wonderful. It's only joy. It's only happy. And boy, were they wrong. <laughs> so they are confirming that to confirm a soul simply means you encourage them to just to help them become firm. Confirm means to make firm. To like a, if you're if you're actually ever setting up a tent, there, there's Scott back there. You know, when you set up your tent, you don't just set up a tent without tent ropes, do you? You can't do that. You got to put tent ropes and stakes, but your, your ropes have to be taut. And when, a, when the wind picks up, you go and you tighten those ropes so that the tent stays or else it will fly. And the Christians got to have their ropes, their life, tightened down and confirmed or made firm. And that's why we come to church. I'm here to stabilize you, to strengthen you, to make you stronger for the battle that's going to happen tomorrow. Confirming the souls and establishing churches. Verse um, <clears throat> 23, and when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord whom they, whom they were, had believed. The, 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 the work of a church is to establish and to ordain mature Christian men as part of its leadership. That is the goal. It's not just so that one guy runs the show. And this one guy is doing too much of that, by the way. I can sure need some help. That's, that's, it's always going to be that way. Because as Paul and Barnabas went from city to city, there was a group of believers there. He said, someone needs to run this thing. And some people, it wasn't always one, need to help. And so they looked for mature men and they ordained them. They gave them a charge and they authorized them to lead that church and to help it to grow. That's the goal of every church. We need men in this church who love prayer and fasting and love this church. I'm glad every man's here, but I'm looking for men who love this church and who love people and who love serving. Um, verse 24. And after that, they passed through Pisidia, and they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down into Atalia, and thence sailed to Antioch. So here now, they're going back for a rest. Verse 26, from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they, and that next word is a nice word to circle, fulfilled. They didn't quit. They went as far as they could, and then they came back for a rest. They weren't quitting. They were just coming home for a rest. In verse 27, we'll finish with these two verses. When they were come, they had gathered the church together and had gathered the church together. They rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. Listen to that word. The, the, before that time, the door of faith was just barely cracked open. Now he was wide open to all the Gentiles, to every nationality. Verse 28, and there they abode long time with the apostles. 
So back to Antioch, they had gone all as far as to Derby, and instead of doing going straight back to Antioch, they went back the way they went through, and they just established the churches, encouraged the Christians, asked your church, are you saved? Did you know not everybody who comes to church is saved? Just because you come to church, just because you come to the best church, doesn't mean that you're saved. They confirm. Let me confirm with you. And all along, they started churches, every one of those places became Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches until they got back to Antioch in Syria. <clears throat> they had a big gathering. All the Christians got together, and they sat down, and Paul and Barnabas showed the slideshow. Went through with their words. <clears throat> they, um, uh, they went over all that God had done. They didn't brag on what they had done. They said, let me tell you what God done, did through us. And then Paul and Barnabas they rested. That's cool. You know, there's a time. The, the military, when, when you do something like this, the military call that a tour of duty. That means you're, you're assigned for a, a mission for a while, and then you come home and you rest. And then you go back out and you do another one. And, folks, this was not their finish. <clears throat> They're going to do a second and a third missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas are going to take a furlough. It's also called a sabbatical or a spring break or summer break. They needed a break, and so they had it. Paul and Barnabas just finished their first missionary journey. As I said, they traveled 1,500 miles by foot and by ship. It took two months of time for them to do these travels. They preached the gospel to everyone, didn't matter who they were. Loads of Jews and Gentiles got saved, but there were also troubles, weren't there? There was a couple of cities where they were thrown out, some where they were stoned. But they had a story to tell. What are we going to do when we get to heaven? You know what church is, don't you? Church is supposed to be you come in that door, you're leaving the world, and it's like a taste of heaven. Unless it's supposed to be. And we fellowship and we praise God, and we sing, and we review the word of God, it's going, that's what heaven's going to be like. We're just going to talk forever. We're going to sing forever. It is going to be awesome. Why don't we do it now? So what are we going to talk about when we get home? You're going to hear somebody who said, I gave a gospel tract. Every day of my life, I gave one away. And you're going to go, I think I handed out two my entire life. I don't compete and compare one amongst each others. Just realize, what are you going to talk about? Will you have anything to talk about? Will there be anybody that you passionately prayed for and fasted for and worked on and talked to and begged to get saved? Was there anybody? Or when you get to heaven, are you just going to run and hide? There will be tears in heaven for a while, the Bible says. And those tears aren't because of, of, you know, pain. There's no more pain there. The tears will be because we did so little for Jesus. And there are so few that should be there that we never cared about and witnessed to. You say, well, I've, I've been abused. I've been attacked and mocked when I gave the gospel. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What a story they told. 
The truth is the door of faith was fully open to everyone. It didn't used to be. Jesus said, get going. Don't just sit around Jerusalem, guys. Don't, don't just sit and wait to go to heaven. Get some to go with you. Doesn't matter who they are. The final illustration I want to give you is <clears throat> Jesus told a parable of a big supper. And he prepared that big dinner, and it was for a certain group of people, the friends of the owner of the house. And he sent a messenger saying, dinner's ready. And one by one, all of the people that are invited said, have me excused. One of them said, I just bought some cows, and I got to go check them out. Another one said, I bought some land. And another one said, I just married a wife. <laughs> so they all said, can't come. And so what did the owner of that house do? He sent his messenger, says, go out to the highways and hedges. Find everybody. I don't care if you have to carry them here. Get them here that my house may be full. What's the picture of? The pictures of heaven. God invited the Jews. The Jews rejected. God has invited people throughout history and they rejected. And Jesus says, keep going, keep going, keep going till everybody has been invited. Bring them, drag them if you have to, carry them, bring them so that heaven is full. Because the door is open. One of these days, the door is going to close. I think it's going to be soon. It's called the rapture. I think the world has mocked and made fun of the gospel long enough. And one of these days, a lot of us are going to disappear, and the world will be glad. Good riddance. And the door will be closed. You better get saved today, and you better care about the loss today, because the gospel is open and available. And maybe that's the problem. Maybe people want it to be expensive and hard. Well, guess what? If God did make it hard, nobody would get saved. So it's either one or the other, either impossible, you got to be perfect, or you got to be a sinner who comes only through Jesus Christ. What's it going to be? This book ought to affect you. This story, the gospel story and the book of Acts ought to just motivate and humble us and change us so that we say, I'm not moving. I'm stuck. I've been sitting letting pastor plead with me week after week, month after month, and I've sat here and I will not move. And I realize I have no guarantee of tomorrow and I need to get saved today. And then there are those of you who refuse to just take a gospel track and hand it to somebody. Don't do that. This is our pattern. This is our rally. This is our call to go and to keep going until that trumpet sounds. Will you stand with me and bow in prayer? <clears throat> there are a lot of hungry people in the world, Lord, both physically and spiritually, and we get to come to people and say, dinner's ready, the door is open, you are welcome. Father, I remember that woman, Maureen Smith, telling me that you wanted me. <clears throat> I didn't have to do anything except just come in. 
Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come unto the Father except through him. And I just needed to go to Jesus. I didn't understand it. I had to go to church for a couple of weeks. Hear the gospel preached over and over before the penny dropped. Maybe in this room there are people who are also just working with the confusion. I pray today it'd be just clear as a bell. The door is open. Dinner served. But it is getting cold. And the door will close soon. And that chance will be gone. So Lord, help us to make a decision today. <clears throat> a serious decision. If somebody's not saved, I pray they get... Lord, on their face before you, and they'd cry out saying, God, I may be embarrassed, ashamed, but I've got to get saved. I can't, I can't put it off anymore. Help somebody actually cry out to you and get saved this morning. There's no fancy words to say. There's just a turning from the dumb idols, from the vanities of our own imagination to the only true God and his son, Jesus Christ, and saying, I'll trust Jesus, I believe he died for me and was buried and rose again, and I'll follow him. Somebody would do that. It'd be a great day. Lord, and then every Christian here say, Lord, I'd like to see that every day. And you're asking me to be part of that, be a soul winner, to be on the go. Lord, fix my heart, fix my feet, fix my mouth so that, Lord, I'm a, I'm a minister of the gospel like Paul was. In Jesus' name, amen.